Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 58. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and science with an emphasis on the great 19th century philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. What is my paradigm? It's simple, that there's more going on in the world than blind naturalistic materialism. In this episode, we will delve into the important topic of Hegel's notion of becoming. Now, we've discussed Hegel's becoming in several episodes before, but never directly as, as a main topic. So here we go. Hegel's notion of becoming is detailed most specifically in his great work, The Science of Logic, which really represents his mature philosophy. Now, just a moment on this when I say mature philosophy. It, um, it's a work that he actually penned, and it's, it's not based on notes that were taken during his lectures and his lecture notes that were published posthumously after his death, like, like several of them. As a matter of fact, it might be a good idea to just right now take a brief review of what, what actually Hegel wrote and, and what was published afterwards by, by his students and others. His first published work was in 1801 when he was 31 years old. It was entitled The Difference Between Fichte and Schelling's Systems of Philosophy. This was followed by his most famous work, The Phenomenology of Spirit, published in 1807 when he was 37 years old. While this is his most famous work, most Hegel scholars contend that it does not represent his actual mature philosophy, and that's the point that I was making. Not that his later works differ in some substantial degree, but his science of logic and then the Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences lay out his entire system. The phenomenology traces consciousness from brute awareness onwards with many interesting observations, whereas the logic and the encyclopedia present his entire system, beginning from an abstract place, pure presuppositionless being that does not even include human consciousness. Now, the difference between the phenomenology and the logic are a subject for a different episode. The key point, though, is in discussing becoming, I will be referring primarily to his treatment of this right at the beginning of the science of logic. The science of logic was published next in 1812 when he was 42 years old, and this was followed by his Encyclopedia of the Philosophical Sciences, first published in 1817 at the age of 58, with revisions published in 1813 and 1816. The Encyclopedia contains a condensed version of the science of logic in the first section, often referred to as the shorter logic, whereas the original science of logic is referred to as the greater logic. Following the shorter logic in the Encyclopedia, there are two additional sections, one on nature and a third on spirit. And put together, this is Hegel's entire system. It represents his complete picture of his philosophy and his complete picture of the world we live in and what's going on. His last published work in his lifetime was Elements of the Philosophy of Right, published in 1821 when he was 51. And this outlines his political philosophy based based on his system. It's quite a piece of work. Hopefully we can discuss it more in the future. 
Following his death in 1831, several additional works were published, as I said, based on his lectures, the, the notes his students had taken, and his own lecture notes for those lectures. These were, first, the Lectures on the Philosophy of Religion, 1832. That it was published. Uh, then Lectures on Aesthetics, published in 1835. And then Lectures on the Philosophy of History, published in 1837, and finally, Lectures on the History of Philosophy, published in 1892. Okay, now that we've covered this, we've gotten that out of the way, let's get into a discussion of becoming and why it's so important, what it means. I'll begin with Hegel's notion of it and then branch out into his broader perspectives. Hegel begins the logic with two notions, being and nothing. We discussed this in detail way back in episode three. But just to review, the key here is that he begins with both, a duality. There's being and nothing. As an aside, it's interesting. The Hebrew Bible begins with the letter B. It's the first letter in the Bible of the word Barasheth. In Hebrew, the letter B is pronounced Bet, and it also stands for the number two in Hebrew. Uh, the Bible does not begin with the letter A, Aleph, in Hebrew, but B, Bet, Aleph stands for one. Now, Kabbalists have taken this to signify that the world was created as a duality. And the Bible states this directly in its very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first word, the Hebrew word starts, the Hebrew Bible starts, the first word is Bereshith, meaning beginning. So, now, there's a difference here, though, between this biblical interpretation and how Hegel is conceiving of being in nothing. It's not that being in nothing are two separate worlds. And in the beginning, God created being in nothing. No, no. It's actually, he begins with these two notions, but he immediately shows that they are both the same thing, yet still different. There's identity and difference here. And this is so uh, what makes Hegel so so interesting? True presuppositionless being is, in fact, does turn out, in fact, to be nothing, because there's nothing, there's, there's no, nothing there. There's no suppositions. And yet this nothing, without any suppositions, is a notion in its own right as well, giving it being. So these go back and forth. They become each other. Ah, we've said the magic word, hence becoming. And this is the third concept in Hegel's science of logic. Again, we're not dealing with anything. We're not dealing with reality, existence, or anything else. It just We start with presuppositionless being, nothing, and how they turn into each other. They become each other, and we're left now with a notion of becoming in one single concept. It remains. It is being that is there. Now that it's defined by both pure being and pure nothing, being turns out to be determinate being. The German word, Hegel's term is Dasein, which translated means being there or presence. And so being there is in fact what becoming is. It's now a single notion. It has transcended the notion of being and nothing. It has lifted these two notions up into a higher notion. And this is this lifting up is the first time Hegel uses the term sublation in describing this in the logic. Afabung in German. We did an entire episode on sublation number 36, 
last year. And it's a key concept in Hegelianism. It's really sort of the driving wheel of his, his whole project. So the one foundational concept in Hegelianism is becoming, being that is there. Yet it has two sides to it, being and nothing. And this is important to realize. Nothing just does not, it doesn't just disappear in the move to becoming. It is incorporated in becoming, lifted up as is presupposition was being. Becoming incorporates both being and nothing in a higher concept. Now, one might say, yeah, that's nice, but this is just words analyzing some abstract qualities that it really does, you're not really saying anything it has to do with me or anything else. That's the problem with philosophizing. It's too abstract. It's not meaningful to actual life. Okay. But what have I told you that this notion of becoming is something you experience every second of your life at its most foundational level? And what is that, you ask? I will tell you. It's how we experience time itself. Let me explain. The passage of time is the best and perfect example, in my mind, of what is occurring in Hegel's becoming. Time flows, they say. But does it? Einstein called it a stubbornly persistent illusion. And we've discussed here that is not my view. It is stubbornly persistent because it's something we all experience. The present moment dissolves and a new one enters. The old present moment is now baked in the past and the old future now becomes the present moment. Yet we do not experience the death of the moment. All we experience is the continuity of the present, the continuity of the moment, always embracing the future and leaving the past behind. Yes, the present moment persists. And in actuality, this present moment contains both the being of the future blossoming into the present and the present moment receding into the nothingness of the past. Both notions are equally existent in the present moment. It's a very important concept. It took me many years to wrap my mind around this. Becoming is being that is there, Dasein. The past is nothing and the future is nothing, but the present moment incorporating being and nothing is there. It's now determinate, meaning that it's been, there's a definition to it. Past and future are not static entities, though. It is one continuous flow, like a river. As Heraclitus said, we can never step foot in the same river twice. It's actually quite an amazing process going on here. And it's ubiquitous. All things in the universe are under time's umbrella. Note that this notion of time being the same as becoming has nothing to do with Einstein's discovery that time and space are linked in space-time, and that time can speed up and slow down, depending on how fast one is traveling, and that even what's before and after can vary for different observers. All that's true, all that's been proven, but the fact of the matter is becoming is still working in all these different scenarios, always present, always with an arriving future and a departing past. It's always locked in one moment, yet it's always still becoming. It never ends. This, I believe, is Hegel's unique contribution to philosophy and to science as well. How he has established becoming as the sublation of being and nothing. And how to understand what becoming is, you have to really understand where it comes from, the uh, being and nothing. Now, why is this important? Well, here's why it's important. 
As thinking, rational creatures, we have an ability to plan for the future. We can size up situations and take steps to improve things. We can make the world a better place. Becoming allows us to do this. We are not fully stuck in habits and instincts which we must obey. We have a certain amount of freedom in the present moment. Of course, much of the present is conditioned by the past and cannot be changed. A lot of what we do is instinctual, is is habitual. Uh, And of course, if I'm dealt a hand of cards, I cannot go back and change the hand I was dealt. I must play the hand I was dealt. Life is like this. Some things are just not in our control. We do not choose our parents, our upbringing, our experiences when we were very young, that we didn't choose the time period in which we were born. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of our past is under our, was under our control. How we made use of opportunities, the goals we set, the friends we chose. And we live with those decisions. And we're making choices today which will impact us in the future. We're putting together a roadmap for our life in the future. Someone once said that the mark of intelligence is the length of one's planning horizon. The longer the time horizon that one plans for, the more intelligent. Now, we cannot forecast too far in the future, but we do know things we can do now to help us in the future, like saving for retirement. We can realize the advantages that will open up by obtaining greater education and so forth. You know, if you were a buggy whip manufacturer just when the automobile was taking off, you knew the days of your career were numbered. Today, the Internet is dramatically changing almost every industry. Companies and professions must adapt or die. The point is that there's freedom in the present moment, and it allows us to take action now. We're not just following a a robotic path. And by making the right choices now, we can improve our chances for greater success in the future later on in life. So becoming is not some abstract, meaningless word. It is central to our own lives and our, our livelihoods. Now, we've talked about evolution here before, and uh, I mentioned before that I believe evolution is a central concept of the universe. That's just just sort of dressing up becoming and giving it a sexier term, evolution. And this is because becoming is central to the universe. And and importantly, though, when I say evolution, I'm just not referring to the blind random evolution of Darwin. There's conscious evolution as well. There's evolution in thought and awareness. It is slow at times. It can be painstakingly slow, but it is there. Rather than look at becoming as some dry philosophical term, think of it as a growing process, one of development. And whatever activity you choose, one can keep on growing, keep on developing, keep on evolving. Nietzsche recognized how important Hegel's concept of becoming was. Hegel, of course, preceded Darwin. But Nietzsche knew that Hegel had planted the seed for the idea of evolution when he claimed, no Hegel, no Darwin, in the case science. Let me give you the full quote. Quote, let's take the astonishing hit of Hegel, who stuck at no logical usage or fastidiousness when he ventured to teach that the conceptions of kinds develop out of one another with which theory the thinkers in Europe were prepared for the last great scientific movement for Darwinism. For without Hegel, there would have been no Darwin, end quote. Here Nietzsche is recognizing the Hegelian concept of becoming. 
that conceptions will develop out of one another and grow. And this conception of becoming took hold in Europe and softened the ground, so to speak, for the acceptance of Darwinism among the great thinkers of that period when it came along. Nietzsche goes on, let me quote him further down. Quote, we Germans should still have been Hegelians, even though there had never been a Hegel, inasmuch as we instinctively attribute to becoming, to evolution, a profounder significance and higher value than to that which is, in quotes. We hardly believe at all in the validity of the concept, quote, being, end quote. And what he's saying here is something quite profound, that the German people themselves have held fast to this notion of becoming as a superior notion than what it is to think just what is that thing. This this notion of a process of development, of becoming, it's in their bloodstream. It's part of the drinking water. He says this is in contradistinction to other peoples who put a higher value on what is, is, as opposed to the process that is occurring, developing. He clearly states that the German peoples were Hegelians in their souls already regarding this point of view. And this is direct reference to the left brain, right brain dichotomy we've discussed here so often, particularly back in episode 10. This also has direct relation to the German words Vernunft, reason, and Verstand, common understanding. Vernunft is more holistic right brain reasoning, which is process-oriented developmental reasoning, whereas Verstand is left brain, either or, you isolate something, you break it down into smaller bits types of thinking. This is what Nietzsche was, was um, rejecting. Perhaps it was these German words that helped Nietzsche come to this conclusion about the German peoples. And there's no direct translation, no good translation of these two words in English. That's why I have to use many descriptions of it to make the point across left brain, right brain, etc. I can't speak to other European languages, but I think he has a point here. And Hegel certainly used these two words, Vernunft and Verstand, frequently in his writings. Now, as we've said here so often, our purpose here is to grow, to develop, to evolve. It's not to stagnate. And it's more than just our personal growth, however. It is the growth and evolution of humanity itself. And in the broadest sense, it is spiritual growth. And this is really a process of spirit coming to know itself in nature, its other. This is what becoming is all about. Don't shut it out of your life. Don't say, show me the material evidence for spirit. Come to know that it is a part of you and a part of everyone else, a common bond. And it's working through us to come to know oneself. We are part of this process, part of this development. You know, there's there was an inscription at the entrance to the temple, temple of Apollo at the Oracle of Delphi in ancient Greece. And this inscription has been quoted again and again by philosophers and sages the world over. It is this, know thyself. Now, it's interesting that this was just the first of three inscriptions on the temple. The second one was nothing in excess. Good advice. And the third was certainty brings insanity. Now, that's an interesting one. Certainty brings insanity. It's very interesting. It could be taken as meaning that left brain analysis, Verstand kind of thinking alone, without balancing it with right brain thinking, Vernunft, brings insanity. It's a very good point. Now, but getting back to know thyself, let me quote Hegel. Quote, 
The significance of that absolute commandment, know thyself, whether we look at it in itself or under the historical circumstances of its first utterance, is not to promote mere self-knowledge in respect of the particular capacities, character, propensities, and foibles of the single self. The knowledge it commands means that of man's genuine reality, of what is essentially and ultimately true and real, of spirit as the true and essential being, end quote. So, that is the purpose of becoming. So we, who are in the forefront of life here on earth in terms of rationality, have one core objective, that is to know ourselves and know ourselves as spirit. Not just a physical body, not just our emotions, not just our left brain thinking, but spirit, mind, that is evolving through us. And through it and by it, we are one. So to summarize, Hegel puts becoming front and center in his philosophy is the first logical expression of being that is there, determinant being, is a sublation of being and nothing, and it persists. And because it persists, its aspects of being and nothing persist as well. Each present moment in time contains both being and nothing. This present moment in five minutes will be no longer. The anticipated moment five minutes from now, which does not now exist, will exist. This puts a certain precariousness to life that we live in time. At each moment, we are both here and not here, but we flow on in this state. We can sense its fragileness and also its wonder. This is what life is, folks. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I encourage you to reach out to me on the podcast Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist. It's a real pleasure for me to, to do these episodes, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm, I'm getting a good response from, from many of the listeners. You can follow me and comment also on Twitter, also at Cunning of Geist. And as always, I'll be listing all the references cited in this episode on the Facebook page in a day or two. And I'll also be posting a written transcript of this episode there as well later on. It may take me a few uh, longer than a few days. It, it's actually a, um, a little bit of a project to work with the, uh, the transcript to get it in shape. I also post relevant comments on the Facebook page in between episodes. So please check it out. I compare other philosophers to, to what I'm talking about, other psychologists, other scientists, etc. Please like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to tell your like-minded friends about it as well. Please spread the word and share episodes as much as you want on social media. So that's it. This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.